Good evening. Uh, welcome to another edition of RPG Academy Show and Tell. Um, Larry here. I'm going to be having uh, the guest from Frog God Games, Edwin Nagy, in tonight to talk about some upcoming crowdfunding products and, of course, uh, things that have already made it to, to press and people have in their hands. Good evening, Edwin. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Long-time fan, first-time guest. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I appreciate you made contact that, uh, you know, you had heard uh, some of the products that you guys have been putting out, and we covered uh, some of them on our crowdfunding episodes. And, you know, we're, you're here to tell us more about those um, and also, you know, what you're into now, what you do, because uh, I'm curious, and um, I'm sure we have a lot of inquiring minds out there that would like to know as well. Uh, so if you don't mind, you can either, I can compare what notes I have to what's in reality, or you can just go ahead and give us a little rundown of where you're at now and, and where you came from, if you don't mind. Um, I'm happy to, yeah. So I uh, I guess I got back into gaming around 2013. A friend of mine who I, I had never gamed with, but we must have talked about gaming, was headed out to, I think, to Carnage Con in... Um, Vermont and asked me if I wanted to go hang with him for the weekend and I did and it was super exciting it had probably been I don't know almost 20 years since I had gamed certainly 20 years since I'd gamed with any regularity and I think probably almost 20 years since I'd gamed at all for RPGs um, so that was that was kind of a, a weird like it was weird how fast the switch got switched uh, to get back into gaming because Pretty much right after that, I found uh, online gaming communities and started, you know, there was the G Plus community and then uh, some other gaming cons in New England. And then that led to, of course, following some Kickstarters and that got me uh, involved with some of the uh, publishers and the authors and specifically Zach uh, Glazer, who was Lesser Gnome. And I worked with him. I basically sent him some unsolicited feedback on Whisper and Venom. And, you know, it was in that at that stage where he'd put out the PDF, but the it hadn't gone to the printer yet. And so there was that that golden moment when when you can collect the information from the masses and still save uh, save a few things. So I'd worked with him a little bit on that, and then based on that, I wrote um, an adventure for him for Lesser Gnome and edited another one for him, and then I worked with him on Death and Taxes. So that got me into the sort of the professional world. Um, and I think at the same time, more or less, I was starting to do some rules translation uh, for some other indie publishers, either uh, to OSR um, starting out and then eventually to fifth edition, uh, mostly from, you know, Pathfinder 3.5 type stuff. Right. Uh, now I do also a lot from OSR to 5e in, or back and forth. Um, and then uh, Lesser Gnome got bought out by Frog God. And wait, I'd already been doing some freelance with them, as had Zach, obviously, which is how they knew each other. And I went in on his coattails, basically, uh, since Zach and I really like working together and thought that it would be fun if we could do that at a bigger company that had a little more, um, a little more going on. So uh, it was, that's my, at least on the fantasy side, that's been my my trip back to gaming. 
Oh, do you? Well, yeah, I was going to ask you a little bit uh, about the other side of gaming, which seems to have a lot of your interest and it sounds like your time as well, the horror side, because uh, you've got involvement in what, is it two or three different horror type? Uh, you're, you're a cast member on the um, podcast for uh, Skype of Cthulhu and have been doing that for, what, five, a little over five years there? You know, I was I was looking at that, and I, I think it may be it may have crept up even longer on me. I'm not sure. Uh, I, my notes say I started in 2013, uh, oh, which okay. is a little crazy uh, to think about. So I basically I, I don't. I mean, I sort of remember there that they were on, and that I, I was listening to them for for a while, and then somehow I don't remember if they put out a call or I just, but they had an opening. And I and I jumped on it, um, and so I've been playing with them and occasionally running games uh, with them ever since, and that's been a lot of fun. And then from that, uh, I'm also editing um, modern or one of the audio editors for. I don't want to claim to to be the the editor, but one of the audio editors for uh, Modern Mythos, uh, John Hook and Seth Skorkowski, and then Miskatonic mm-hmm. University podcast, uh, which has. Uh, you know, it's had change of hosts, um, sort of rotating hosts over the last few years. But uh, I've been working with them for a long time and gaming with them, at least when we get together at Necronomicon. That's been a hoot, too. A lot of a lot of horror gaming. And the uh, the cast, uh, oh, I'm sorry, the uh, modern mythos is relatively short. I mean, it's just started up not too long ago. Isn't that right? Correct. Yeah, although I feel like that also is, is probably like when I, I say like it was just yesterday and I think yeah. it was, you know, a year ago already. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's it's been, I think, just under a year. And then with your other one that you mentioned, the Miskatonic University podcast, that one won, was it 2019? Uh, was it an N-World from Morris? Uh, yeah, they got an podcast. Emmy for uh, best, I think it was uh, one of the, for audio, for not not the actual play, but the Talking Heads podcast, whatever, whatever, whatever Discussion or is. something? Yeah, discussion podcast. Right, so you're deep in the horror, and it sounds like that's. Does that specifically all run with Call of Cthulhu, or is it just that genre of let's do cosmic horror or horror in general that you seem to really enjoy for your either for your gaming pleasure or on, on these? You know, you've got a lot of involvement with the shows, just being involved with the horror stuff, or you really like to roll the dice and end up going insane or dying. <laughs> So I do really enjoy this Call of Cthulhu system, although I also have enjoyed several other uh, several other horror game systems. Um, but Call of Cthulhu is definitely the one that I know best and play most often. Uh, Skype of Cthulhu occasionally will drop into some other, uh, you know, some other game, but it's pretty much been Call of Cthulhu. Um, I think I, I do. I enjoy the investigation part of the gaming a lot, the mystery aspect of it. Um, I enjoy the system. I enjoy the people that I play with, which is really the, like that group of people is really my number one bit. I mean, I could play anything with those, with that group of people and have a good time. And and I have, um, the, uh, our, our characters, that's, it's interesting. The, the sort of stereotype, I guess, of, you know, going crazy and dying which I think must come from convention play. Cause that is a hoot. You know, if you have, if you have four hours with your characters and you manage to do something extraordinary with them at, you know, Mark three and a half, 
that can be a really <laughs> fun time. But I it's will memorable, say, yes. Yeah, but you know, I did. I had I had one character that I think it was a single character through all of uh, horror on the Orient Express. Which is the one of the mega adventures. Mega adventure. Really... We played it for I'm sure wow. it was over a year, and uh, and you know he did he did lose some sanity, and he was not um, you know, but uh, you know, so so I, I feel like there there is a lot of room in those games for ongoing characters that are still interesting to play, and the character interactions, and all the social stuff, and the role playing, and all that. So I, I feel like the yeah, I feel like that really is a, is a convention play stereotype, and which is fine. I mean, that's you know that is fun. Like it is fun to have a character go nuts and do something crazy with them, just like it's fun in uh, you know old school gaming to to run through ten or fifteen characters in an evening's gaming. If you know that's what you're doing that night. <laughs> if the system, yeah, if the system leans that way, and you can create a new one relatively soon, or you've got a stack of got a stack here's of my next bard. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we do. I've done a fair number of um, fundraising games with, uh, we often do one at at Necronomicon, and I've done some 24-hour Extra Life games uh, with the home group here. And with the Necronomicon, we do the pile of characters, and uh, you can basically, you know, donate money to have someone's character die, or to save your character, or to do whatever. And it's just a completely crazy, over-the-top game, and we'll we'll burn through... uh, you know, hundred characters in three or four hours with you know a group of twenty people or thirty people, and and that's pretty fun. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. Pulling in the audience participation is a sure way to help with that too. That's yeah. that's a great way to do that and raise money at the same time. Yeah. So as far as gaming systems, then did you ever play the old one, uh, chill game from Paysetter? I have not. I would like to. I had the first edition of that, and then I. Uh, yeah, then they've re-released what uh, there's a, a newer edition that uh, they've come out with, right? From Paysetter, I think. I think, yeah, um, from the new Paysetter or from. Yeah, I, 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 I think it must be. Boy, I hate to yeah, to put my foot know. in my mouth, but I thought I thought so. But um, I was just saying that's one that always came up. You know, when I was a kid, we would play Chill, and then Call of Cthulhu's up to what seventh edition now. Yeah. Uh, do you jump around editions with that in, in those podcasts where you're doing the actual play, or do you stick with, if it's a Call of Cthulhu specifically, do you guys stick with one edition? Yeah, we went from 6th to 7th. Um, so when we when I, when I started with them, we were playing 6th, and then we switched over to 7th, um, not as soon as it came out, but sort of each keeper as they wanted to run in 7th. And I think I don't think we've played anything, well... I take it back. We haven't played in seventh edition for years, although we have certainly played scenarios that were, you know, somebody was translating on the fly from fifth or sixth edition to to seventh. I think the last one I ran was I don't remember if it was fifth or sixth. I think it must have been sixth edition, but it definitely had the um, oh shoot, what's it called? The the uh, not the confrontation charts, but the you're both rolling, and there's it's not just like straight degree of success. There's like that. Oh, okay. You have to beat your opponent's opposed roles. Opposed roles, yeah. Like but there's, opposed... there's a, there was a, a chart for the opposed roles uh, to see how. Anyway, based on like right. the difference in your skill, and then there, it, like it was a, it was much more old school <laughs> than seventh edition, where you just you know level of success and go from there. So I mentioned, or I'm mentioning the chill game, and then uh, also the pace setter. Do you? Uh, let's see. You're in the podcast of this old dungeon. Yeah. Um. As a, as a member now. And, and yeah, and he 
and uh, yes, and uh, he runs uh, the new pace setter, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so how do you like that podcast? Uh, it's it seems like it's pretty much it's all fantasy, right? Where you'll take a an adventure and sort of bring it forward through an addition and see things that need improvement or. Not I, the, the ones I've been listening to. You guys are talking about making some story changes, making some changes to things that just play would play better now. You yeah, know, from, we, we've from done early some. Uh, we've done some stuff that was not fantasy, um, but I think it's true that our common area is fantasy. But we we've done a few other things. But yeah, that's the the idea is basically how would you renovate this this old adventure if uh if you wanted to bring it to the table today what would you absolutely keep what would you want to uh change a little bit either story wise rule wise oh, and how might you incorporate it into a campaign if if that's what your your plan was that's been a lot of fun Th- those two are super super knowledgeable people about gaming systems and gaming history and i am absolutely not and so the the chance to sort of listen to them talk about and you know talk, they're both collectors and they're both you know they know the names of the the publishers and the artists and all of that and it's it's pretty cool uh, for me to be able to to hang out with them and just learn what they're thinking about and how how they think about gaming which is you know very much different from from my just kind of experiential uh, <laughs> aspect of it Right on the introduction to the show, I think there's a mention of you know we're old old grognards and then talking about uh, old adventures. But nobody on the show is like an old grognard who's just refusing to change. Everybody's uh, seems like they're at least played fifth edition some or some newer systems. Uh, it's just me some tongue in cheek there because you yeah. guys are very entertaining and there's <laughs> always a good discussion in every episode. Um, whether it is, you know, renovating a, an old dungeon to bring it up and change some things or, you know, kit bash a couple different adventures together to get maybe the best of both worlds out of, you know, what each one would bring. But that is, uh, uh, This Old Dungeon is the name of that podcast, and it's it's very entertaining. That's uh, another uh, another podcast you're uh, involved in. <laughs> um, and then you've already hit on, you started... Uh, you know as a as a kickstarter backer right just making some observations that uh were apparently very astute and you know got the eye of um zach uh and then joining in there with um lesser gnome and then as you mentioned moving to frog god after that and i don't know about the time period i I don't know how that you were recently sort of promoted up to a a, a big frog right um <laughs> Right, sort of, so to speak. Um, I mean, did you start out like as the line editor there for fifth edition stuff, and then you've taken on more project management, structure, organization things? Yeah, I mean, I guess a few things happened. I was, I guess, I was sort of uh, doing fifth edition translation work for them primarily at the beginning, and a little bit of uh, mostly that, and then. I mean, I'm currently one of the one of the partners, so I'm a part owner of the of the company. And with that has sort of come my desire to uh, help improve our management structure, how we how we run projects, how we get them from an idea to a manuscript to uh, something we can deliver. And so I've been doing a fair amount of that also. And then because of that, and because I work full time in nothing to do with gaming. Uh, I also try as much as possible to 
manage fifth edition translation and do the quality control on it as opposed to actually doing it that you know there's a so basically you know i'm I'm trying to find people who can do the work and let them know what our style guide is and you know work with them until they understand how we want our stuff to look and, and be in the end and and then review their work and sort of give them feedback so that they can become a somebody that can just do the work sort of independently. Um, and that's, um, that's actually been kind of a, a tough process. It's, it's funny. I mean, there's, there's of course lots and lots of people who love fifth edition and there's lots of people who want to work for a gaming company. And there's even lots of super bright people who are, you know, who do good stuff, but finding the right people who can get stuff done on time and have a pay attention to detail and are also able to sort of think big picture because there's some, I think some sort of fundamental differences in a, say a fifth edition game versus an old school game, an OSR game versus a Pathfinder game in terms of the goal of the game or the, you know, what the, the goal of the adventure, what the players are looking for and somehow, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to, there's 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 a an art to it as well as a lot of technical stuff and I think that's sort of the combination that's hard to find as somebody who has both the the feel and also the the technical the detail and all of that which so that's been that's been actually kind of frustrating but <laughs> well is is that part of the uh there was a guideline I thought I saw that was so, uh, you know first or third edition feel but you know fifth edition mechanics and and things where you've got you may not, you know, it is not easy to put into words like, oh, I remember first edition modules doing this and this and this. And, you know, fifth edition, if you just go from scratch, which you guys have done a ton of uh, of the crowdfunding projects, bringing uh, a module. I'm just going to say, you know, the old adventures are always called modules, yep. but you bring an adventure now into current you know currently bring it to uh the funding stage and you're going to have they've been providing the option of going in a fifth edition module or going and getting it as a swords and wizardry which is sort of a universal translator to the old school game so if you want to play it labyrinth lord or something like that you can go ahead and get your swords and wizardry version you can get your fifth edition version depending on what you and your home group want to play so um that's something it seems like, boy, there's a lot of work because you're writing an adventure or, you know, Ken Spencer or somebody's putting an adventure together and you guys have to, you know, get together and plan out, well, you know, this type of room, I want to have a challenge for that's, well, as you were mentioning, the old school systems handle challenges differently. You know, your thieves, you know, had their big tables and, you know, there was a lot more of the poking around in rooms instead of, well, I go in and I make a, a check. Do I notice anything? Um, and, you know, I'm assuming as a, you know, in control of the fifth edition stuff, you're setting all the DCs or trying to find people that can't, you know, that mm-hmm. learn how to do that for you and delegate. So it just seems like that seems to me like a lot of work. And then looking back through the last couple years of the crowdfundings, which I've got several over here and. I've never been disappointed in any of the ones I've got. You get the ones PDF and in print. They're gorgeous. They show up on time, which um, a lot of companies are having trouble delivering. You know, And you may have an issue with a printer or something like that, and if it's out of your hands, there's nothing you can do about it. But it seems like your products are far enough down the pipeline to where when you finish up a uh, crowdfunding and you 
transfer the funds over, you're able to get that product into your backer's hands quickly, um, accurately. It's a good product. It's not full of typos. Um, I mean, it, it's, it bodes well, you know, for the future because you've got a long trail behind you of, of high quality products. Is there anything you want to remark about that as far as the process of bringing a, a project to, you know, either Kickstarter or Indiegogo, wherever you want to to fund them? Yeah, well, th- first of all, thank you. Um, <laughs> it's always nice to hear. There's a a lot of work that goes into uh, getting the adventures delivered, and it's nice to hear that uh, that they're appreciated because it is. I mean, one of the things that we are definitely continually striving for is better quality. Because, of course, um, we see, you know, just like anything else you produce, we see the the, the faults in it, um, and we're like, oh, if only we'd done this differently or that differently. And so we're, you know, keep working on how to improve the process so that the product ends up, uh, more solid. But the, uh, I mean, I guess so for the Indiegogos, uh, for the shorter adventures, which we've been doing on Indiegogo, our goal is to have them laid out before we fund, before we start the funding, uh, for the Kickstarters, we typically have things uh, completely written and have most of the art in hand before we start the Kickstarter. Uh, but we don't, we don't always, uh, we normally don't have it laid out like, you know, before the Kickstarter starts. Um, but I think the, I mean, the process is, is, I mean, I think the reason I, I say this in terms of having the stuff done on time is that the, the only way we can get the quality is to have the time in our schedule to do it. You know, there's no there's no shortcut to quality. It, it involves having somebody who knows what they're doing read it, and then somebody else who knows what they're doing read it, you know, and then looking at the laid out <laughs> thing. So, you know, I review the, the fifth edition rules. We have somebody else who reviews the swords and wizardry rules. We have an editor, and then we have the project manager who looks at the... Um, sort of the overall story and making sure that stuff makes sense and, you know, works with the author to, to try to plug holes in the plots. And, uh, of course, make sure the maps match the text and make sure the art matches the text. And then we, you know, and so, so each of, each of those steps is just something that you just got to stop and sit down and do. And that involves having a schedule. And so, yeah, I think our, you know, we're typically working about a year on, one of these adventures uh, from concept to delivery and on a short adventure, right. In order to make sure it has time to get written and reviewed and et cetera. Yeah. I was uh, wondering because they, it does seem like you're fulfill you're, you're finishing up They're fulfilling soon. And there's another one on the horizon. It's, it's a cycle that's always coming and you know, you keep bringing out uh new products here. I did want to specifically ask because it's one that caught my eye and I was looking at it's the, um, uh, you did a fifth edition version here recently and it's, it's huge. And it was, uh, you had previously done like 10 separate adventures and they're like all visits to temples. And yeah. And that one, um, let's see, I, I think I backed that one for the fifth edition version, but what, I mean, how massive a project is that when you take these these adventures that have already been done and you have to you're going to offer them as a what swords and wizardry and fifth edition versions. So then you've kind of got the swords and wizardry done, 
because that's what was the original uh, content. So you still have to go through and make all the changes you want to to have it fit as a fifth edition series of adventures or as well. So is that, I mean, to me, that seems like a daunting project <laughs> to look at when you're first hearing, okay, take this stack and redo it. It It is. You know, I'm actually, uh, I've spent the last uh, two and a half days working through uh, an adventure that we published in Swords and Wizardry as two volumes, and we exported the PDF to Word. And one of the volumes is already underway in the fifth edition translation. And I've actually just been spending a few days simply getting the PDF or the new the Word document in shape so that the translator can work on it. Um, right. You know, getting, cause, cause it has to get all of the, uh, all the marks for the layout. You know, this is a heading, this is a different kind of heading. This is a table. Like all of that goes into this also. It's not just the rules stuff. Um, but yeah, for Splinters of Faith, the, it's, I mean, the process is at least when I work on it, what I typically do is I start at the beginning and I, I work through, you know, room by room or, you know, front to back making all of the changes to the adventure text. So, you know, adding the trap DCs, for example, uh, describing, you know, this is, you know, because in in, uh, Swords and Wizardry, you have a saving throw. In 5th edition, you have to choose a saving throw and give it a DC, right? A secret door in in, uh, Swords and Wizardry, you have a percent chance as a character to find it. And, you know, you can modify that in writing the adventure, but generally speaking, you can just say there's a secret door and you don't have to say anything else. Whereas in 5th edition yeah. or Pathfinder, you know, you're expected to say it's a secret door, uh, wisdom perception check, you know, DC, whatever it is. And so making all those decisions as we go through. But while I'm doing all of that, I'm also writing down, I keep a list of creatures, spells, magic items. Because the next step after going through the adventure is then to write all the appendices, right? So you know, for some of these big adventures, there's, you know, maybe a hundred new creatures that are not available. Um, so what, what we do at Frog God is if the, if, if I can't easily find the creature stat block online legally, so, you know, what's the mm-hmm. SRD and then Kobold Press has a lot of their stuff on SRD. Um, so if I can't easily find it online, you know, you know, legally, then you know, and if, if so, if it's a creature that I'm creating, that we're creating, then we're going to include the stat block in the back, even if it's something that we published, you know, three, five years ago. Um, so, but so anyway, you know, making sure all the creatures have stat blocks, making sure all the magic items have their stat blocks, any new spells, all of that has to get done. And so that's sort of, for me, the the next step is to do all that appendix stuff. And that actually often takes more time um, to get done because there's just so much nitty gritty in there. And that involves going back and looking at our back catalog of creatures and magic items and spells and saying, do we have something that we can substitute that already exists? Or do we have, you know, is there an SRD creature that would work just as well? Or do we actually have to create a new creature? And then on the flip side of that is people like new creatures, right? So we're trying to not do it because we want to not overwhelm. But on the other hand, you know, it's a little extra added value if you get a few new creatures in your adventure. So we're, we're yeah yeah so as as a recipient a few new creatures is nice as the one who has to come up with them i mean a few, a few new creatures just might be uh, you know oh my gosh <laughs> you know even more 
right? You keep throwing more in. I mean, you definitely get a lot of value for your products, or at least I, I feel I've been very happy with everything. But uh, yeah, when you say it like that, it's like, oh my gosh, you've got to do the research. And if that comes up empty, then you have to create. Yep. So yep. yeah, very little rest time here, huh? Seems like. No, well, so yeah, for me, I'm a... I mean, I work year round, but my I'm a teacher, so I work for Frog God. I do a lot more hours a week during the summer than I do during the other nine months. But I am sort of working uh, on stuff year round, and definitely we as a company are are year round. I mean, I have our our list of uh, Indiegogo stuff right now. Um, the end of the list that has a date is a February 2023. Uh, planned launch for Indiegogo. Um, so, Looking. And that's one that I am, uh, I am right. I've written the, the core of it and I'll hopefully this summer get it finished, you know, get it filled out and then we'll start ordering Full. art and ordering maps and doing all those, all those next steps. And I think our Kickstarter schedule wow. is similarly out to, uh, yeah, is out to 2023 in February right now. So. It's definitely a lot about planning. <laughs> exactly. It feel, you definitely, feels kind of like having a job. <laughs> yeah, on top of the other, huh? Uh, could you uh, just briefly hit over, uh, I know Frog God is a sister company to Necromancer Games because uh, you do a lot of their, as far as I could tell anything recently, you've done the 5th edition conversion stuff for like Shepherd's Bane. You did the Midderlands, I think, was released under, uh, with Glen Seal, released under Necromancer Banner. Uh, one called Let's Get yep. Crackin', uh, which I, I like that one. So, I mean, do, <laughs> do they focus on a different, like, subgenre of, of, you know, these type of fantasy games? Or is there something specific that if, you know, a product's going to go for Necromancer or a product will go for Fraud, Frog God? Yeah, it's something. So we're, I mean, we're basically the same people. Like, we, we are the same people. Um, and And one of the... So uh, Frog God has the Lost Lands as sort of our home setting. And our primary separation these days, although we're not, we don't stick to it 100% because, you know, we're gamers and people like everybody else and whatever. But the primary distinction is that if it is in the uh, Lost Lands and it wants to be in the Lost Lands, then it is a Frog God production. Uh, Otherwise, it is a Necromancer Games production. And so, like, I've done, um, one of the things that I've been working on is, is a bunch of holiday adventures. And um, those are mostly necromancer games because they're just sort of placeless, right? They're really about celebrating some holiday and they have nothing to do with the Lost right. Lands per se. Um, and then, obviously, Midderlands um, was a necromancer games for the same reason. Uh, I think as we're moving forward with uh, Whisper and Venom and Dwarven Fiasco, again, those are going to be Necromancer games because they're um, not Lost Lands. And we're we're also thinking of it as a place where we can experiment a little bit. You know, if we want to try something new, if we, um, you know, try a new look, a new... Uh, we're talking about a couple uh, box sets potentially coming out and... Um, I think a lot of that experimentation we we're going to do with Necromancer Games. It's the the challenge to that division is that Necromancer Games is the older brand. 
Um, so mm-hmm. it's been, you know, it's a 20 year old brand and Frog God is a 10 year old brand, give or take. And so we're a little torn sometimes if we're going to re-release an old Necromancer Games publication in 5th edition or even in, you know, Swords and Wizardry or an OSR edition. But it's in the Lost Lands. Do we want to keep the Necromancer label because it was a Necromancer or do we want to make it a Frog God uh, label because it's Lost Lands? But other than that, we can pretty well uh, divvy them up. <laughs> yeah, because I can remember back, was it it's early 3.0 uh, years, I can remember getting some Necromancer games, uh, the Rapon Athok, the huge dungeon. Mega, was yeah. it... Uh, yeah, that one's mega, but then there was a, was it called a Wizard's Amulet yep. or something similar? Yep. One of their earliest ones, and that won a couple of awards for just an excellent overall, relative kind of short adventure, but it was, I think, one of the first forays into the, hey, here's 3.0, go ahead and make some stuff for it. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I remember uh, some of those games, but yeah, I, that was kind of personal curiosity I, about the two brandings uh that i was wanting to ask you about but you mentioned some other things in there just moments ago um do you want to talk about what you've got active right now like the lake of dust on indiegogo sure Um, so we have uh, lake of dust by steve winter um and that one is uh that was a super fun one uh so one one of the things uh another another behind the scenes look into frog god um, that about a year ago, we started formally having a uh, content review committee with the idea being that we can take a pitch and we can talk about it and then get back to the author, but that we have more than just the project manager reviewing it. We have a whole, you know, we have six or seven gamers who have different points of view and different styles of gaming. And so a uh, Lake of Dust um, actually was one that got to the committee as a um, manuscript. So, you know, some of the stuff, we just hit it in the middle of the process as opposed to the beginning of the process. Um, but so that was one that, that we all read, uh, months ago and then, uh, you know, sort of condensed our feedback and, and asked, uh, Steve if he'd be willing to make some changes and he was super gracious about it. And so mm-hmm. that's been fun to see the process working the way i think it should i think it's a really strong adventure it has um i don't know if uh i mean i don't i don't care about spoilers i don't know um if you're if you're uh if our listeners do um but it has a sort of two uh two big pieces uh there's encounters with knolls but it's encounter with a knoll group that you know you can't kill them i mean you're not they're not meant to i mean you can you can attack them absolutely you do whatever you want uh but you are very unlikely as a group to survive um so it's a social encounter basically with a group of gnolls and uh, i think a, a challenging interesting and fun one it's like it's set up steve did a really nice job of setting it up in a entertaining way i think it, <laughs> and then uh beyond that there's a a pretty unexpected i'll say unusual environment of a dungeon delve um, which sort of ties, which I won't, doesn't tie in except spatially. Like they're in the same place. It's under under where the knolls uh-huh. are. But and that's uh, I don't know. So it's a really I think it's a really fun adventure with some nice variety of gameplay. Um, you know, it has a lot of it has a lot of tropes. I think that are that will be familiar to you know to fantasy gamers, but used in original ways, which is always a challenge to sort of see something new. 
yeah, there is a lot of material out there, and when you can spin, put a spin on it like that and make it something different, that's that's great. It's creative. Glad to hear it. Uh, looking forward to this one, for sure. That'd be a good one. But yeah, that was the Lake of Dust on Indiegogo. Yep. Um, you just recently finished up Rats King Sewer on Indiegogo. Yep. Um, again, the, you know, all of those are, are finishing up. There's, you know, they're funding way over the, the goal on those. Um, and that seems to be one of the things when you guys, you don't go into like stretch goal type things to make projects bigger. It's here, you know, we, we know what we need to make on this project. This is the project. This is what you'll be getting. You'll be getting it soon. Now fund us, you know, <laughs> so uh, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, I personally certainly for the appreciate that. That's the model is, is yeah, right. here's, here's an adventure. We're super proud of it. And if you'd like to buy it, it's going to be ready when the money's ready. And that's, uh, yeah. And uh, it's, that's the early way to get it because you have all of those on the Frog God Games store at some point, won't you? Yeah. So all of them are available. So when we, the Indiegogos are printed at a printer that is local to uh, Zach, who's the, one of our partners. And they are printed, um, you know, to, to our exacting specifications. Uh, but, you know, they're printed on heavy paper and uh, really nice covers and good color and all of that. Um, and then, and that's the, that's the only print run that we do is right when they're, when they're funded on the Indiegogo. After that, they are available uh, as PDFs from our website. And then we are trying to get all of them available through print on demand um through amazon I don't, i'm gonna say this wrong but through through eight through i mean there's a couple right there's there's drive through and there's but i think we're doing amazon pod and drive through pdf i don't remember but anyway they they, they uh-huh. are becoming available physically as a print on demand um but you know, there's the there's been some really good print on demand stuff, but it's it's always a gamble, I think. Whereas we have con- we have control over, you know, we, we we're always always torn. We're we're a pretty traditional company, you know. We have a warehouse, we have books in the warehouse, mm-hmm. and you can buy the books. Yes, right. So the things that have kickstarted all the hardcovers, um, you know, we have those in warehouses, and you go on our website and you buy them, and we mail them to you. Uh, but the the short ones, because there's so many titles and so much, you know, you just can't make run a business we can't make run a business of keeping all of those in stock at the high quality printing in case somebody wants to buy them um so we've we've been playing with pod stuff yeah that makes sense uh do you have anything currently going besides that one right now that you want to speak about before we talk about what's on the horizon uh whether it's a personal project or you know uh something you're involved in something else with the company there that's coming or that's uh, sorry that's either available now to fund um you know something along those lines i think that is the only one we have currently active because we're right between kickstarters and um we're we're not we're trying not to double up on uh, the indiegogo stuff also we're trying to alternate stuff so then uh, what do you have? What are the next products? You had mentioned a couple a few moments ago, but I'll lay those out in whichever order you want to talk about them. The you know, Dwarven Fiasco, that's that one is yours, right? Yeah, I mean, Dwarven you wrote Fiasco that. is one that I wrote originally as a Labyrinth Lord adventure for Lesser Gnome, and we didn't end up publishing it uh, because Lesser Gnome got bought by, by Frog God. And so it's been mm-hmm. sitting around for a few years, um, and I 
sent it to our content committee and said, hey, what do you think of this? And they, they gave thumbs up on it. Uh, it helps that I chair the committee, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> All who oppose me die. It takes. Yes. Exactly. Uh, but it's, a, it's actually, it's an adventure that I'm, I'm pretty proud of. It's, again, it's trying to take something fairly familiar and, and turn it around a little bit. But what I'm mostly excited about is that, you know, I've had uh, several years to think about presentation and art for the adventure. And so the, the basic idea is that there's a, uh, a cliff, a temple in a cliff. So there's a, a dwarves had a temple and a cliff um, and something bad happened. And now there is a, a dwarven lich who is in control of this temple and there's a lot of stuff going on. But what I was interested in was sort of creating a dwarven culture that was sort of fun and not Norse. Um, and I was, you know, so we hired, um, a graphic artist to make us some runes that do not look like, you know, your traditional Norse runes. And then we got them incorporated into the art, incorporated into the maps, incorporated into the layout. Um, and that's just been really fun to work with the, you know, to have somebody, uh, really talented to work with on, on layout and graphic arts. Um, and then the, the adventure itself also has one of the things that I think lesser gnome really modeled and is why, what attracted me to their work in the first place and why I've enjoyed working with Zach is that we both really like language. And so we, so I feel like a, you know, a good adventure has to have a good story. It has to work at the table, right? It has to be, you have to be able to run it. Uh, it has to have right. stuff that's fun for the players. Ideally, it's going to have some good art and some good maps. And I think that's a good baseline. And then what I always am excited about is when it's also a really fun read, when the, the words themselves are, you know, creative and fun and there's either jokes or, or nice wordplay or, you know, just something in there that, that makes it a little literature-ish. Um, and so... Dwarven Fiasco has some of that where I was able to, you know, play with some nice, I think it's nice. I enjoy it. I don't know. When I, when I went back to it and read it after a few years, you know, I was still excited to read it and that's, that's always nice to, but yeah, to have some fun with the language and have some fun so that with, with the, the, the style, the writing style, I guess. Um, Cause it's definitely a humorous adventure despite being a, you know, it's, it's got some quirky stuff in there. So would you say it would just fit right in with the old paranoia rules or something along those lines? No. Those were fun those to read. Those are definitely fun to read. Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a little less in your face humor. Um, you know, it's, it's a little more of uh it's a little nerdier, I think in terms of word, you know, of just sort of language use and, and, uh, Things that like, like they're sort of like Easter eggs, except not, you know, they're not just Gary Gygax's name uh, anagrammed. <laughs> you always have to watch out for that. Exactly. Well, no, that's uh, that's 
I was yeah, well, I was listening to one of your podcasts. Uh, I think it was one of the this old dungeons earlier today, and they were t- there was a little bit of discussion about that. How it's ha- nice to have a product that's a joy to read instead of just something that's uh, you know more of a, like a dry instruction booklet. Um, there was you know discussion almost exactly along those lines where you're talking about you know you write it, you have fun writing it, people are going to have fun reading it. That's that makes it so much more of a joy to have in your hands, and especially as you're. You know, it's it's bad if you're a player and your your GM starts giggling behind the screen or across the video, and you're like, "Are we gonna die, or is he just having fun here?" Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a it's something I've talked about with uh, with Zach a lot. Is there's sort of this uh, combination of technical writing and creative writing, where which is really because of course the most important thing I think is that the GM understands the adventure right they've got to understand how the rooms go together they've got to understand the plot structure they've got to understand the mechanics you're trying to give them they've got to understand how the trap works whatever it is so there's a definite technical writing component where you have to write clearly simply straightforward and then somehow on top of that you want your descriptions to be creative and interesting your backstory you know as little as you have wants to be punchy and the, and so getting and then somehow I think the the writing on that stuff wants to convey the mood of the adventure, you know, in the same way the art should match the mood of the adventure. The the writing style, when possible, should push the the mood yeah. of the adventure to help the GM. And that I think is is a real tough, and it's a bit contradictory because you know it's it's if I were to write, tech. I mean, I'm, I'm an engineer. Like technical writing is something I you know I do all day every day and. You know, it basically involves writing a sentence and then removing 80% of the words and you know, <laughs> and making sure the right words are left. But that's, boy, is that deadly to read. Like, it's simple, it's clean, no one's going to misunderstand it, but... <laughs> uh-huh. So you're your own best editor. Huh? No, no, no. Uh, I <laughs> definitely rely on other editors. Leave that to the professionals. Yep. Um. So when do you think that one is going to be coming out? So we are planning to do that at the end of this month. So the end of May, that should be on Indiegogo. Um, yeah, because and it's uh, we're on schedule internally, meaning the uh, the layout uh, mock-up has been done, and all that's left now is to do the final final layout for the five E version, and then turn around and do it again for the swords and wizardry version um or the osr version <laughs> mm-hmm. um and then and then because there are so many more right uh you mentioned uh whisper and venom um you're bringing that uh to fifth edition yep so we're bringing that to fifth edition and zach is pretty much running the project on that one i have done the fifth uh, edition translation on i actually did a lot of the fifth edition translation years ago because i was running it as a home game um, but I revisited it based on my, you know, my, my understanding of fifth edition keeps changing and, and growing. Um, but so Good. I went through that relatively recently. Um, and I think it's been through editing and we've getting some new art and he's, uh, the maps are again, have been redone and are ready to roll. Um, I think right now what he is looking at is miniatures. Uh, so and when, when whisper, which harkens Venom, back huh? 
I was going to say that harkens back to the box set that came out a few years ago was touted as the one of those sets when you get it once you unwrap the plastic off you'll never get the box back together there's so much it stuff was in true there. it was a it was a joy to uh <laughs> to, to open um yeah because it had dice and it had uh miniatures it had um maps it had little i don't know just little like coasters it's like just weird stuff um but yeah so so he still um or we still have the the molds for the minis um, so we're looking at how we can produce those. And I think we can produce them and have that as part of the Kickstarter. Um, and then, uh, also this, you know, the, this was a map by Alyssa Faden who does phenomenal work, uh, the big whisper, uh, regional map. And so I, I think we're looking at, you know, how we can release that and what sort of poster style we can do on that. I don't know. He, he's been a, he's because he's so excited, he's been a little secretive uh, about what the other what the other bits and bobbles are going to be. But we're definitely uh, one of the things that we're looking at at Frog God, and we're going to talk about as a company in a couple of weeks is having some some sort of more interesting products physically in terms of you know box sets and things like that. Uh, one of the adventures, okay. one of the things that we are toying with, for example is a series of adventures that are puzzle heavy and what we're really excited about if we can pull it off is to have them be a box set with physical things to help the players enjoy the puzzles um so some of them involve uh you know the locations of statues and so maybe we could provide you know, five mini little statues and just a little piece of cardboard with colored circles. You know, it doesn't have to be much, but but trying to figure out exactly what the components are that would make that really sing. And one of the things that, you know, I keep coming back to, uh, you might remember this one from um, Goodman Games, was the Un- Unchained Coffin. Yes, with the with spinning. The spin- like, it was nothing. I mean, it was, I, I say it was nothing. It was, you know, but it was huge. Like, that was the talk of G Plus for, you know, like a year. Um, and so I think, you know, I think we like fun, you know, we're we're excited to do books and just keep doing books, but we're also, you know, getting a little bit like, wouldn't it be fun to do something that, that really sparkles and has some, some more, uh, some more pizzazz. So that's something that we're, so to give you like for our timeline, that's something that this summer we will really do some brainstorming on what it would look like. And then that's probably, you know, nine months to a year uh, out in terms of being able to uh, fund that, to publish that. Because we want to, you know, obviously we have to figure out what all the pieces are. And then we have to get get prices on all of them, figure out where they're going to get manufactured and get uh, models of them and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, that seems like you're not only making an RPG product, you're also making a board game product because of all the intricate pieces you're talking about bringing that all along uh ooh, yeah that yeah you're right though that makes you open a box and you've got something besides a book in there you can get in your hand your hands on it it does up the excitement level uh for engagement it, it does certainly that's a pretty awesome product so yeah so that's one we're thinking about uh we have um i guess we have some uh a treasure book that should be coming out before too long a book of spells that we're working on i mean that's sort of the usual uh, bits and pieces um 
we're working on a expansion uh i'll say a doubling of maybe to wrap an ethic or tying some big stuff together uh, we'll see how that goes um the on the short stuff i'm trying to see what else is i've got a bunch of holiday stuff in the in the works i'm i just pitched uh we'll talk about it monday so in a few days i just pitched an april fool's adventure to our committee we'll see how that goes over we've got a halloween adventure we're we're having written uh which i'm super excited for i think that's going to be a hoot uh john hook is <laughs> writing another uh horror thing for us in uh he probably he normally writes sort of in swords and wizardry um mm -hmm. so yeah we've got a lot of a lot of exciting stuff in the in the pipeline yeah i think i just received a tower of dead thieves uh, yep. a week or so ago too so uh you know everything everything gets delivered and and uh, the success stories it seems like every project you're doing that way comes through gets delivered and people are happy with it um let's see uh you mentioned we're talking about whisper and venom that was a box set that was from lesser gnome do you have any inclination about going and redoing the other one the death and taxes box set as well or is that well since, since i was a co-author on death and taxes i would say uh, uh no so i think you know if whisper and gnome does well absolutely you know if uh if people are excited for a fifth edition version because uh, of whisper and venom then we absolutely are excited to tackle death and taxes uh it's definitely uh a bit of a trial you know we're we're never quite sure what's gonna grab people's fancy and and what's not but death and taxes was is a it's another fun adventure. I mean, it's uh, it's got some some again some fun wordplay, some fun encounters, um, some fun characters, fun storyline. I I really like it. I really enjoyed working on it, uh, and I've enjoyed running it. Um, so, I would definitely be excited to to be able to bring that back out. All right, then. How about? Uh, let's see, we talked about the smaller adventures on Indiegogo. The Kickstarter would be sort of reserved for your bigger projects, uh, right? That's, like again, like a box set or your maybe your book of spells or something like that uh, coming out that yeah. way. Yeah, exactly. Well, as far as crowdfunding stuff goes, that's primarily what I was you know, interested in, but also the road leading up, up to that and where you've been, what you've been doing. Do you, so as far as we've covered your project, I, I hope that there's, if there's anything left on, you know, on your side of the table, bring it forward and we'll, uh, you know, have a little discussion about it. But, um, if there's, you know, do you have anything else? No, I think that's, uh, I think that's, uh, did a good job. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, I was going to say, I, I think that is plenty, yeah. uh, you know, but I, I just didn't want you, uh, you know, leave them wanting for more, right? <laughs> exactly. Next time. Um, so that just sounds like things are going well there. Um, you know, you uh, had, a, I don't know if it was an update to the process where you said you've got your committee now that brings, you know, that things are, are brought to, and that's sort of smooth things out or, or added a step to the process, but it seems like it's been a helpful one. So is that sort of drawing from your engineering background, you know, as far as changing the process a little bit to help the product? Yeah, I mean, one of the, so in engineering, of course, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a civil engineer, specifically a structural engineer. So buildings mostly, um, occasionally I've worked on hydropower stuff and occasional bridges, but it's all stuff that 
we really want to get right the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for Uh, that. Yes. And so, you know, the model that I am used to is you do your work, you check your work, you give it to somebody else, they check your work, and that everybody has to have time to be critical. And that one of the other pieces, though, that I think is less often thought about is that early in the process, you really want to do what we call a feasibility study, which is you want to say, well, here's seven ideas to solve this problem. And let's look at them. Okay, these two, they're not going to work. This one, okay, maybe. This one looks great, you know, whatever. And sort of rank them and, and then move forward. But so I think that the content committee is sort of that process of vetting these things early when it's still cheap, right? If somebody sends in a paragraph and says, this is the thing I want to do. And we say, oh, we just published that three weeks ago. You know, they've, they've wasted half an hour writing a paragraph. It's no, you know, it's no big deal. We just say, okay, that's not going to work for now or for us or whatever it is and move along. Um, whereas, you know, by the time the book's laid out, if that's the first time somebody looks at it and they, they, you know, so somebody has a particular thing that they are conscientious about, um, whatever it is. So, um, maybe we have something that's offensive, um, to a, to a group of people and, you know, four of us don't notice it. Well, I want everyone to have a chance right. to notice it early before we have to, um, have all the investment, all the investment. And, and, and then right. we can have a chance to, yeah. to make the thing that we should have made in the first place and actually make it in the first place. So, yeah, so that's, that's sort of that, where that comes from, I guess, is trying to, I mean, I think the, the sort of the cliche thing is, you know, is either fail cheap or fail early or whatever, but, you know, just to basically try to, yeah, make your, make your, like, figure out if it's not going to work early on. You know, figure out what the the biggest hurdle is, and if they, like, hey, you know, this the the story just doesn't make sense, or we don't think this story can be told in twenty four or thirty six pages. This has to be a book. Like so, so some of the stuff we had, you know, like these. Well, actually, so these um these puzzle adventures, uh, we were considering mm-hmm. them for Indiegogo, and we read them, and we're like, boy, this would be so much better if it had a a thing with it. And then we read the second one, and we're like, you know, this one could have a thing too. And then we're like, wait, hey, I think we're talking about a box with a bunch of things in it, and you know, three adventures and a and a bunch like of it. pieces. So that was a um that was the committee that was basically took something and turned it into something else. Um, and so I think yeah, I think doing well, those conversations early are important, and that's something that we were had not been doing. We just we'd been trying to do them at the end but at the end it's too late yeah you've got momentum going and you don't want to trash a project that you're far along on i, I mean i understand at least i believe that's kind yeah, of what yeah, you're yeah. going yeah. with there so fail early fail often exactly right? <laughs> uh, it's, no it's a great idea to get yeah get as much separating the wheat from the chaff or just stuff that, that's not viable at this point or, or whatever that's that's smart so um, I appreciate the insights uh, you've shared with us tonight. It's certainly all the information about a couple current projects, projects coming down the pike that we'll be looking forward to this month and throughout the upcoming year. Um, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on 
Indiegogo's coming, uh, Kickstarter's coming, anything on you know, Game Found. We we try to, you know, scan the horizon to see what uh, we can bring to our audience and and share information about that. I really enjoyed your guys' takes on on that. That's been fun to listen to to see um, what you come up with and like how you feel about them and and your little game of. If you if you had to keep one of these, <laughs> yeah, off, often well, sometimes we align, sometimes we want to throw our cash uh, at other places. But yeah, that it's an it's a fun podcast to do. I'm grateful for Michael for starting it back up, and uh, and again, we do try to to look and see what we can bring. Not necessarily, you know, itty bitty tiny projects, but something that we're interested in and and share it with uh, our our listeners. So, um, Edwin, I really appreciate you taking the time out uh, tonight and uh, spending it with me here. Uh, thank you so much for being on the, the uh, our RPG Academy's Show and Tell episode <laughs> here. Um, thank you. Uh, again, just you've been very gracious and, you know, didn't tell me to shut up or, you know, you didn't send a list of questions that were completely verboten. I appreciate that. Uh, so um, again thank you for being here and it, our guest was Edwin Neji tonight uh, from Frog God Games um, we will have show notes uh, to Frog God's uh, kick current Kickstarters, current uh, Indiegogo the Frog God store you can look at all their products um, and um, I'll get a list uh, of podcasts too and have links to those in the show notes so you can go listen uh, to all the different uh, shows that uh, Edwin is on and has, has his hand on or in, sorry. So uh, with that, I would like to go ahead and say good night. Um, and as long as you're having fun playing your RPG games, the way you like, you're doing it right, which is a horrible way of what Michael usually says. It flows so much better <laughs> from him. Um, but I'd like to say good night and thank you, Edwin, for joining me. Um, just wave to the people. Thank you and good night. <laughs> All right. I appreciate Yay. it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time.
The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.